Imagine having the opportunity to read your own obituary. That someone thought that you had, the newspapers got the note that you had passed away, but you hadn't, so they printed an obituary about you, and the title of your obituary was Merchant of Death. And the very reason that you were alive and the very thing that you were doing, the things that you were creating and inventing were for the very purpose to create peace and to find peace. But because of the things that you had created, the world had actually taken the things that you had created and made mass destruction from them. And so you were known as a person of a merchant called merchant of death. Here's the phrase that they said. The merchant of death who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before died yesterday. It's a pretty sobering thing if you think that your your legacy is one of peace, but the rest of the world thinks that your legacy is one of death. This well-known person began to then take reflection upon their purpose and their legacy. And I think it's interesting for us to think about as followers of Jesus, if we were to be able to read our own obituary, if other people were to write it about us, what would they write? What would our legacy be? What would our wake of life be? What would they say the, the, the headline of our life is? Is follower of Jesus? Great father? Great husband? Great employee? Great student? Whatever that is that we pursue, what would the headline be? This morning as we think about Philippians chapter 3, that's what I want us to think about is if you were to, to write your obituary, as followers of Jesus, we have answered this call where Jesus says, come follow me. And in that pursuit of following him, our desire is, or our desire should be, to look and to act and to think more like him the longer we're on the journey. So that at some point, our legacy should be, as a follower of Jesus, Chris was the best husband he could possibly be was the best father, that the influence of Jesus filtered through all the different things and so that the legacy of our life should be that one is someone who followed Jesus. And not perfect, not the greatest at anything or everything, but as anything of nothing else, that their heart's goal and their heart's desire was to love Jesus and to pursue him with all they have. This merchant of death, as a matter of fact, because of his desire and seeing the obituary and his desire to to change his legacy from that moment. He changed his will and his testament. He gave away 94% of his wealth because he wanted his wealth that he'd amassed because of this tool of mass destruction to be something that brought peace. Because when he created dynamite, he said that when I create dynamite, dynamite should be the thing that so scares other armies that people will come together and negotiate at the table and pursue world peace. But in reality, as we know through history, that that's not the case. And so he gave away 94% of his wealth so that other chemists and geologists and all these other physics and, and different people of great strength and intellectual pursuits, that their pursuits in the world would be about pursuing world peace and we would lift them up. This man, we know by the prize that it was offered or has continued to be offered by the name of Nobel Prize, the Peace Prize, all because a man, his brother passed away and they thought it was him and they put his obituary in the paper in 1888 and he saw that he was considered a merchant of death and not as a merchant and a pursuer of peace. And for us, the opportunity to, to take a moment 
this morning, to take a moment this week and reflect about the call for us to follow Jesus and what is the wake, what is the legacy, what is the headline of our life. For those of us that have said, yes, I've accepted the call to come follow in pursuit of Jesus, this is what I'm known for and this is what I'm known to be about. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 10 and following. Over the last few weeks, if we, as we have been in this study of Philippians, there's been this one thing, and that's why the theme of our series has been one. Because Paul, throughout Philippians, has focused in different sections on one thing. He said to us, we should have one love, we should have one hope, we should have one mind, we should have one attitude, we should have one purpose, we should have one goal, and today we should have one prize. And so all of these things wrapped up, our one love is Jesus. Our one hope is Jesus. Our one pursuit and purpose is Jesus. Our one mind is, is, is of that of Jesus. Our one goal is Jesus. And guess what our one prize is? Jesus. That Paul is sitting in prison and surrounded by some people that he's done life with and he's writing to a church that he started and he's talking to them and he's sharing with them which he thinks could very well be the end of his life and the end of his days and he's encouraging his people to say, listen, there's one thing, if there's one thing that I want you to focus your eyes on, if there's one thing that I want you to pursue, if there's one thing that I want you to love, if there's one thing that I want you to hope in, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. So in verse 10, Paul says to us that my goal is to know Jesus. And as we talked about the last few weeks, this idea of goal and to know is an experiential type of knowledge. This week or the last couple of weeks, we've had this discussion on Facebook and elsewhere around the world that what is better, Popeye's chicken or Chick-fil-A chicken, right? And so really the question is, whose brand is the most trustworthy? Because, see, if one brand proves to be trustworthy and you know that their food is going to be good consistently over time, that you go to that place, and then also if they have great service and, you're going to, and they tell you, my pleasure, and they serve, you know what I mean? They've created a system, they've created a brand that you trust them, and so you choose this brand over another brand, even though they may be the new coolest thing. And so this idea of knowing is an experiential overtime knowledge so that the way that you know the brand of Chick-fil-A, and here Paul is saying you should know and experience the brand of Jesus. That time after time after time, he provides the service. He provides even more than what you need. That's the thing about Chick-fil-A is they go above and beyond what you think you should experience. And Jesus is the same way is that every time that we come to him, that we think we know him, and but his, the knowledge of him and the experience of him is inexhaustible. So we're surprised by the fact that he gives us more than we could ever even think about, that you're going to get extra Chick-fil-A sauce, and now that they've got macaroni and cheese, then it's even better than the coleslaw. You know, I mean, that's Jesus. This is this experiential knowledge that you can trust him. That the brand of Jesus is not ever going to fail you. He's not ever going to, and listen, I'm, I like Chick-fil-A, but they're going to fail you. Jesus will consistently, as a matter of fact, he will provide things for you that you haven't even ordered. Because he anticipates your needs and what you need, even when you don't need it. He may even cut the fries out and give you fruit, because he knows <laughs> you don't need it. 
know him and the power of his resurrection. This idea of power is where we get the word dynamite. It's an explosive charge. It's something that kind of blows up and moves you. And so to know him and the power, the dynamite power, the explosive power of the resurrection for us is this is where we can gain victory in our life. To know the power of the resurrection means that we've got to walk through death to self so that we can experience the power of the resurrection and what it means to have life and to celebrate with him. And then also on the other side of that is to have fellowship with him and his sufferings, that we can be a part of the picture, that that this is the, the beauty of what I call biblical friendship is that we get photoshopped into the messy pictures. Because a lot of times now when we take pictures and we have Instagram pictures and Facebook and all those different things, we filter those things. We get to the best angle and we do all the different lighting and all that stuff. Why? Because we want a perception. We want people to perceive us in a certain way. But what true friendship is, is in those messy, unfiltered pictures, in the rawness of who we are, We jump in and Photoshop ourselves into those because we're like, this is where we need to be. I don't want to be a part of that filtered life thing. That's cool and all that. But I want to be in the messiness of life with you. And that's the power of the suffering together, the brotherhood, the koinonia fellowship. And that this is what I think I believe as an American culture that most of us are missing. Even Becky and I were having this discussion the other day about friendship. What does it mean to have friends and what is that, that level? And, and, and I'll just pull back the curtain a little bit. Most people don't want to be friends with the pastor. And I understand because we're the pastor. I get it. And so what does that mean for us, all of us, not just me, But for us to do friendship on a level with people where we can be raw and we can be honest and you can theoretically let your hair down and get photoshopped in the mess of people's lives and to know that there's not going to be judgment, but there's going to be love and acceptance and journey together. Because I believe that I'm not exclusive to this, that all of us in some way, we long for friendships at that level, and that that is what true friendship is, and so that there's going to be two or three, hopefully, in your life that can really be friends with you. And that that's the longing, and that's what people are crying out for. To know this, the the suffering, to walk in suffering together. Now jump down to, to verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect. Now here Paul is someone who just a little bit before had given us an explanation of the fact that, hey, if there was anyone who was ever religious enough or had reached this certain level of righteousness by man's standards of checking off the list, I'm the one. Because he was a Pharisee and he had studied under the feet of Gamaliel. He, he checked off everything. And so the checkoff list of righteousness, it's him. And so Paul is talking to his audience. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you I'm reaching after a goal. And you may think, you may naturally think because of who I am that I've already reached it. But I'm telling you because of who I am and I've met Jesus, he wrecked that system of righteousness. And I have not reached it because Christ is inexhaustible. I'm continually pursuing after him. And so he says, 
Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. And so another religious group of the day were the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were teaching that there were certain people that would have have attained a certain special knowledge that only they had. And they were the only ones that could teach it. And most people would never reach it. And so here Paul is talking to the two religious groups and about the two religious groups of the day that were saying, hey, some of you have reached the place of righteousness that we've reached, that you've gone to the right school, you've said the right things, you don't do the certain things, and so you've reached this level of righteousness, and you can pat yourself on the chest and say, listen, I am so-and-so, I am righteous in the sight of God and above you. In other words, I'm above you. And then the other religious teachers of the day, the Gnostics, were, we've received this special knowledge. We can't tell you where we got it from. We can't tell you where to get it. You only know when you know that you know and that most of you are never going to get it. And so Paul is saying there are going to be people that are going to come along and say, hey, you can reach and attain certain things and get to a certain level. And what I'm telling you, if there's anyone that has reached any of those places, it is I. But because of Jesus, I'm telling you, it's unattainable. Jesus is inexhaustible, and you will never reach a certain level with him. You're consistently in pursuit of him. So here Paul is saying, continue to reach and continue to move. I'm not already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of or seized or captured by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Now, when I was younger, probably about 10 or so, I went to the Mesquite Rodeo with my grandparents and my parents. And one of the cool things at the Mesquite Rodeo, and I've seen it at other places as well, was they let out the calf. You know, they call the little kids down. Hey, little kids, come down here. I don't really know how safe it is, but they do it anyway. And so they let you out there. And you come down. And, hey, little kids, come down. If you're between these ages, at some point we're going to release a calf and you're going to chase after it and stomp all over other kids and run through poo and all this. And so you're going to do that. And so that's what happened. So I'm thinking, hey, I'm whatever age, I'm fast, I can get this. I'm looking around, I'm like, not that person, not that person, that's a girl, no. You know, I mean, you just kind of go through those things. And so here I am, they release the calf, and they go, and I'm like, I'm there, I've got it. It is full on, my eyesight is set. I'm like, yes, this gift certificate to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it is, it is mine, baby. And as right as I reach for it, I slip because somebody was pushing me, I can't believe they would do that, pushed me and pushed me away and I fell to the side and that which was right before my, literally I touched the tail of the calf and I had it, I pursued it, I wanted it, I thought I was going to take hold of it and I got pushed to the side. Guess what I did? Did I lay down and cry? No, I got up and continued to pursue after it. Why? Because that Chuck E. Cheese coupon was worth it. And this is what Paul is saying to us is the calf has been let and you're pursuing it with everything. You've got your vision on it and you desire it and you want it. And that Jesus should be such for us is that the race is before us and he's there before us and we're pursuing and striving. And there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be things that push you out of the way. But in your desire for it, you're going to get up and keep moving because you want the prize. You want to experience the fullness of the prize. And guess what? That some point when you win the prize, they call out your name and everybody looks at you and goes, oh, yes, you are the greatest Chuck E. Cheese person ever. You cow chaser. You know what I mean? And so you got that. And so there's something in us that pursues this prize and this gift. And Paul is telling us as followers of Jesus, Jesus says, come follow me. And that we're in pursuit. And as we pursue and as we walk along, there's going to be moments where obstacles come up and we fall and we slip and we get pushed off to the side. But if we keep pushing ahead, we'll reach the prize.
At some point, our name will be called. Continuing on in verse 13. So, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I haven't reached full maturity. But one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. And this idea of forgetting behind is, is to the things that, that weigh us down that we need to get rid of. And so that when we're moving forward, we cannot be continually looking behind. So some of you have seen these things where these Navy SEALs, they carry these big old heavy packs and they've, they've got to do stuff. And so that's specially trained. They've, they've done a lot of extra work to get there. Most of us are not ever going to be Navy SEALs, right? And so what Paul is saying to us is let that pack go. Those things of the past, don't let those things, don't keep drawing back to them, but turn those things away and keep moving forward and that there's going to be goal markers along the way to continue to pursue. Because there's something about our eyes, that when our eyes are drawn to something and we're focused on it, we move toward it. Some of you have even done it when you've been driving. You drive, and so you kind of check your little blind spot over here. And if you look too long, guess what happens? You hear that, which tells you, hey, you have been distracted long enough that you've missed the path. Just one little degree and just a little bit too long of looking back and checking back moves you off direction and off path. And so here what Paul is saying to us, and you're moving forward, release the baggage that's holding you back. Release those things that you think wants to find you and focus your eyes on the prize, literally the goal markers ahead, and continue to strive forward. Now, most of us, when we think about racing, we think like 25 yards or 50 yards is the most that we can do at a time. And so we live life that way. We sprint and then we die. We sprint and then we die, right? School, why do people die and get sick and all that stuff? Not die, but literally just get physically tired and they get sick and all that at the end of a school semester. Because you're sprinting and you're throwing more stuff on and you're doing all this stuff and you don't take care of yourself with the long term of like, look, I want to do. And so we sprint. And so we do the same thing in our spiritual life as we sprint and we sprint and we sprint. We go to event to event to event, retreat to retreat, camp to camp, mission trip to mission trip or whatever, experience to experience. And don't think about the long haul day in and day out grind of each day doing healthy things, healthy habits, so that the long term, so that whenever the semester ends, the semester ends and we're able to keep moving forward because we're sprinters. But Paul tells us that we're not to be sprinters, we're to be ultra-marathoners. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not sound exciting to me, okay? An ultra-marathon is like two times the refrigerator in a hurry. I don't know. It just doesn't sound fun, okay? And so... That just doesn't. So ultra marathon. And so what Paul is talking about is that we're not to be sprinters. We're to be ultra marathoners. But along the way, there's these markers because we give up human nature. Whenever we struggle, whenever it gets we begin to count the cost and then we eh, I don't know. And so we begin to give up. We get to get distracted. We get discouraged. And so Paul talks about along the way of our Christian journey, along the way of our Christian run in our ultra marathon, there's markers along the way. One, to keep us encouraged that, hey, I can make the, I can make the next 10 yards. I can make the next half mile. I can make whatever, keep it into bite-sized chunks because we can continue. Because we also need to celebrate. But also this idea of just keeping moving forward. It keeps our eyes on something. We're encouraged. We're not discouraged. And along the way that we can celebrate. Because as humans, we, need, we all want the prize. But to understand that it's not a sprint, but it's an ultra marathon of moving. But if we keep going back here, 
and opening up our backpack of our past and the things that we're supposed to be forgetting and going, oh, and we kind of keep coming back and forth and, and, and moving with them. We're never going to be moving forward at the pace and in the direction that God wants us. And Paul says, listen, set those things, throw them off to the side, throw them in the back into the bushes of the woods so you can never even find them anymore and move forward and keep your eyes focused. One bull marker, one mile marker at a time. That as you're moving forward, celebrate those victories and know that the further you get away from back here, the further along you are, there's more victory, there's more relationship, there's more Jesus. You're closer to the prize and you're celebrating. And as he talks about, you're growing in your maturity so you can look and act and think a little bit more like him so that our legacy is and our wake is we looked and act and think a little bit more like Jesus than we did at the start of the race. Forgetting what is behind and moving forward to what is ahead. Verse 14. I pursue as my goal that prize. This idea of pursue is a hunting word that if you've ever been out hunting, you get up and you go early and you go hunt, you pursue it. I know sometimes you sit in a little deer stand or whatever, but we're out to pursue. In the old days, you're out to pursue. So it's hunting language, but it's also War language or army language, that is an army would pursue their enemy, that nothing would keep this army would, from giving up. They see their enemy in sight, and they're going to pursue them until total victory is won. And so here Paul is telling us, I'm going to pursue until total victory is won. I'm going to chase after and pursue and win because I want the goal. My goal is the prize, and the prize is Jesus. And what is that prize? What happens is God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So here's the cool thing. If you've ever been at a track meet and somebody wins, what do they do after they win? A little bit later, they have this little podium thing, and there's one, two, three. And when they do that, they call out names, right? And so this is a word for that, agonothetis, okay? It's in your notes. Trip over it later at your own house. All right? And so what it means is it's this idea of a herald at a track meet calling out your name, calling out your father's name, and the country with which you reside, and the thing that you have won. So here Paul is giving this image to his audience of, listen, we're running this ultra marathon of a race, and we're hot pursuit of truth. We're in hot pursuit of Jesus and moving mile marker by mile marker by mile marker. And at some point we're going to finish the race, and at the end of the race we're going to win a prize. And that prize is Jesus. Okay, That's our hope, that's our goal, and that's our prize the fullness of Jesus, because Paul talks about we think we've obtained him when we say yes to him, but the inexhaustibleness of Jesus, we're always learning more about who he is. The more that we trust him, the more that we get to spend time with him, the more we get to know about him. And there's going to come a point at the end of the race that we get to have a celebratory dinner with Jesus. But before that, whenever we're finished, as the herald is going to say, hey, Chris, everybody, let me get your attention. Chris has won first place. And his father's name is God the Father. He's from my land. And he identifies us with us. And this is beautiful image for us is, listen, the race is worth running. Because at the end of the race, the herald is Jesus calling out. And he's saying, the reason that Chris is considered a victor is because he's raced after me and pursued me. And God the Father, I present to you. My brother, my friend, Chris, who's pursued me and fought the good fight 
and has slipped and fallen and has turned his eyes away at times but got back up on the path and continued to pursue me. And that his obituary, that his song will be, this is the child of God who pursued Jesus. And because he pursued Jesus, it made him a better father. It made him a better husband. It made him a better pastor. It made him a better friend. It made him a better because of Jesus. That if that's our one hope, that that's our one goal, that that's our one purpose, then that influences the kind of boss that we are, the kind of employee that we are, the kind of whatever roles that we fulfill in life. Jesus sets all other stuff in perspective. Because if we're pursuing him and loving like him, then how can we not love? How can we not be a better husband, father, employee? Because we're going to do it with the effort of striving after him. Challenge for us is to keep running the race. Run the race. We have one hope. We have one love. We have one purpose. With one mind. With one attitude. With one goal. For one price. Jesus and Jesus alone. This morning, that's our challenge. As Jesus says, come follow me. Will you run the race with him? Let's pray together. Father, it's easy to get distracted as we're running this race called life. Father, if you've, we've accepted the, the call to come follow Jesus, that the race has begun and we're running and running with all that we've got, and so many things, so many obstacles, so many distractions. And Father, to keep our eyes on the goal markers of growth and learning and maturity, to literally be an offering fit for sacrifice. But that, Father, there's going to be those moments where we think that we've reached it and we're going to get pushed to the side, we're going to slip, we're going to fall, we're going to get dirty, we're going to be messy. But that this... Life is about that. That's a part of the beauty of the race. That at the end of the race, we're going to be dirty. We're going to be sweaty. We're going to have cuts and we're going to have bruises. We're going to have scars that have been healed. That's all about the part of running the race. That you haven't called us to sit in the stands just yet, but to run the race. Father, may we run the race well. It's in your son's name.